Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. EJ, I propose a toast. It's 1045 in the morning on a Monday. And yet, we are toasting the Chicago Bears. They really outdid themselves this year. Uh, Only took until week three. Some would argue week two before they uh, completely pants themselves and basically ended the season. Uh, This might be a new record, EJ. It might be, and they owe me a phone. (laughs) My phone got (laughs) burned up at the Seahawks game. I had texts and DMs and wellness checks coming in from all over the country. I'm talking Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Texas, Montana, you name it. People were like, are you okay, man? Really? No, seriously, blink twice if you need help. It was it was something else. Um, we are not going to talk about that game for good reason. It was expected to be a slaughter. It was indeed professional murder. And uh, they get to deal with the aftermath, and we don't have to. So we're not going to. What's crazy is it it might not be the worst murder of the week. Actually, statistically, it isn't the worst murder of the week. Uh, we will be talking about that Broncos-Dolphins game. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking about a lot of, not going to lie, painful to watch football uh, throughout this episode. Uh, first things first, though, welcome everybody to uh, the very end of week three. We're recording this again roughly five, six hours before Monday Night Football kicks off, so we're not going to talk about the Monday Night games. Uh, if you want our thoughts on those, you probably stop by the Thursday live stream later this week, uh, or maybe we'll we'll mention it a little bit on the Friday show. Um we're focusing entirely on the Sunday slate. Lots of unexpected results, to say the least. Perhaps the most unexpected, because everybody knew the Bears were going to get killed, and, and to a degree, everybody knew the Broncos were going to get killed. Nobody knew that the Cowboys were going to get killed. Uh, the Cardinals just ran all over them. Um, it, it, it was interesting to see the Cowboys in an unfamiliar script, where they weren't in a lead and, and, you know, unleashing the hounds and letting their pass rush do their thing. When they had to sit back there and stop the run against a team that really wanted to grind out the run game the entire day, they couldn't do it. It was a very difficult game to watch, and it was the most surprising result that was sort of going around the stands whenever they put the 
score up, the buzz came. Look at that. Like the Cardinals are beating the Cowboys. And I was really looking forward to watching this game. I watched it first thing when I got home last night from I was at Panther Seahawks. And when I got home, this was the first one I put in the rewatch because I was like, the other ones I kind of understand. This one, I don't understand and I need to understand it. It was a really interesting game. Cards team has played really hard for the new coaching staff all three weeks. They haven't had a result all three weeks, but they have bought in. A lot of people figured they were just going to roll over you know, crater for Caleb, and that was going to be that. Couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, They're getting more out of players from previous regimes than the previous regimes did. Even folks they didn't pick, like Zavin Collins and Marquise Brown. James Conner is the go-to heart of this team. It's funny that you mentioned rushing to start off. Just grinds it out for them. Seven yards a carry. James Conner, not a guy you would typically expect to have a high yards per carry, especially not against a defense that is typically as dominant up front as Dallas is, but he absolutely has powered this team every week. He hasn't had the flashy results this week. He did both. He powered them and got the flashy result, and they just leaned on it. Love the creativity and alignment, especially from their new OC, Drew Petzing. Like, it's working for now. I'm not sure if it's going to work when defensive coordinators get tape on this, but the players he's putting in different spots in the offense. And I mean, literally moving wide receivers into the backfield and lining running backs up at tight end and everything else is really cool to see. They don't have a ton of consistency yet, but the creativity is there and they got some big plays out of it yesterday. The run game in particular, you know, the diversity of it, they hit explosive runs on counter uh, on pin and pull schemes with the front side guard and the center. Um, they had, uh, you know, the big keeper with Dobbs, um, the outside zone call with Rondale lined up at running back, <laughs> you know, where yep, they went, they went the to a four strong look and they, and they had Rondale uh, on the same side uh, as trips. And so to everybody on defense, they're like, Oh, red flags going up. There's going to be a throw out of the backfield, maybe some kind of screen, you know, maybe some kind of like super flood concept with four guys and they're just trying to, you know, break our coverage rules or something like that. And it's like, nope, we're running outside zone the other way with Rodale Moore. <laughs> and, you know, they caught the three tech and the slant and it was just, it was gone. And it was so creative because everything about that formation screams some kind of weird tricky pass play that they just installed that Tuesday. But it's like, nope, we are running outside zone. And and to hit it big was was awesome. It was just good coaching. And uh, you know, I'll be the first to admit I I didn't I didn't have like full confidence in this coaching staff going into this year. A, because a lot of guys in in new places, new roles that we've never seen before. But B, everything that was coming out of that building over the offseason was kind of like ah. I don't know about this, right? And, and, you know, like you said, they, they've played their asses off. Like, every single guy on the field has played with their hair on fire for Jonathan Gannon, and it's super commendable. Like, it, again, it reminds me a lot of, like, uh, early Dan Campbell Lions, where they knew they were outgunned talent-wise, but they had nifty play calls and designs, and they were super aggressive, and they were just kind of making it up as they went along, and everybody was playing hard, and uh, it's just it's a really cool win for them. Um, on the other side, the coaching for the Cowboys, not good. The execution for the Cowboys, even worse. In particular, uh, you know, to go was it one for five in the red zone is just flat out unacceptable. And I understand they had backups in the offensive line. I think they had three backup offensive linemen in the game. 
I get that. But it wasn't just the offensive line. It was the, the play calling, and it was Dak, too. Like, take out the, the pick that he threw in the end, which was in itself a terrible decision. Like, he threw it right to the rat defender in one rat. It's like, Dak, what are you doing? You're in, like, year eight. Like, can't be doing that. But, um, you know, the, the first um, turnover on downs that they had, it was fourth and three. They had three receivers running essentially to the same pass window. Like, all three of them were within six to seven yards of each other. And, like again, it's four strong to the field. How is nobody running a shallow? Nobody's running a cross. Nobody's doing anything to horizontally stretch the defense in the low red zone, which is what you have to do. And they're all just posting up and sitting there in the same throwing window. So you got five over four. There's, like, five defenders sitting right there. It's like, who designed that? You know, going back to earlier in the game, they get a zero call on third and seven in the red zone, and they had like a, a double China smash concept with two little sharp in routes and then the corner route behind it, which is not going to work against zero. A, all the DBs are playing super downhill in zero. They're going to break on the first thing they see. Um, and so you want something that is going to hit super quick. That doesn't hit super quick. And like the main throw that you're trying to hit on that is the seven route to the back pylon, which you don't have time to throw against zero. You got a guy in your face. So it's like, Dak, get out of that. <laughs> like, call timeout. Do something. You have three timeouts. Like, if you don't have the power to change the play at the line of scrimmage, call timeout and get a new play. So I, I just, I don't know if there was arrogance or just they weren't prepared. Maybe they were looking ahead to the Niners in a couple weeks, but it, just, it was just all bad. And it was equally bad for the Cowboys as it was good for the Cardinals. And that's how you end up with games like this one, where a team that 90% of the time probably shouldn't win, wins the game. When you said arrogance, I think it's arrogance of the Jimmys and Joes. They thought that those guys could just carry them sort of, I don't want to say regardless of scheme, but maybe in spite of scheme. They definitely miss Callum Moore a little bit. The layering you talked about, putting in options for players on plays where they need them, depending on what the defense is doing or depending on the situation. They made a lot of yards between the 20s. It's not like this was a, you know, impotent offensive output. They put in, you know, 400 plus yards, 416, 185 rushing yards. Like, that's enough to win in the NFL typically, but they struggled to turn them into points. They had 75 plays and they got 16 points. And at the, at the end of the day, like, you got to score more points than your opponent. And I don't care if you grind yards. I don't care if your guys win between the 20s. When you get in the red zone and you pretty much don't even get field goals, you're not going to beat a team that is hungry, that is playing hard, that is buying in, that is creative. That was probably the most, the biggest contrast in the game was the creativity on the Cardinals side. And it seemed like at least once a series, offensively, the Cardinals were pulling out something that, whether it worked or not, I was like, oh, that's cool. And the Cowboys, I was like, what are you doing there? Like, and look, their dudes had a good day. Tony Pollard had a good day. CD Lamb had some good catches. Gallup had a ton of yards. No points. And they end up losing a game that they, quote unquote, on paper, should have won. Yep. Yards won't get you to the playoffs, but touchdowns will. One quick note, and then we'll get right back to the show. We are finally starting the fall season officially, which means lots of family events are coming up and holidays and football Sundays with friends. And if you want to look good and clean and tidy when you go to all these different events, that's where Manscaped comes in. 
If you don't own many grooming products or even any grooming products, but you want to take care of yourself, you want to look good, Manscaped has everything you need. You don't need to go out and start shopping for individual products and put together a list. They have everything you could ever need all in one place, and it is the easiest thing ever. Their flagship products, of course, the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer with ceramic blades and skin safe technology to kind of reduce nicks and cuts. There's a 7,000 RPM motor, an LED spotlight, and it's waterproof. There's also the Weed Whacker for ear and nose hair trimming, also with skin safe technology and an even more powerful motor. And they also have a brand new product now as well, the Handyman, which is a compact face shaver. It's got a unique dual blade system for quick close shaves, and it has a standard foil shaver as well as a long hair leveler blade to kind of knock down up to three days worth of growth. Plus, it's also waterproof as well and has up to 60 minutes of runtime on a single charge. So between all these different shaver options, plus everything else that Manscaped has to offer, because they carry literally every male grooming product you can think of, I encourage you to check out their website at manscaped.com. And if you like anything in the entire catalog at all, and you want to check it out, you can get 20% off plus free shipping with code bootleg at manscaped.com. Again, that is 20% off plus free shipping with promo code bootleg at manscaped.com. Thank you to Manscaped for partnering with us once again. And with that, let's get back to the show. Get into our second game here, um, Texans toppling Jaguars. Speaking of unexpected results, C.J. Stroud has continued to look amazing, which we alluded to in the parting glass last week, talking about his efficiency on third down. He's looked uh, just as good in week three as he did in, in week two and week one. Uh, as a Texans fan, couldn't be more excited about that. At least one of us has a, a young Ohio State quarterback doing well. Um I, I will say, though, watching back that game, especially on the All-22, am I wrong for thinking that the Jags, in each of their games so far this year, are like four weird plays away from exploding? Like, it feels like they are so close to being the Jags that we thought they were going to be. And even though, again, they lost by a lot in this game, it, it didn't feel like they were playing bad football. They, they just had these crucial mistakes, like the bad drops. Um, you know, there was like the one pick from Trevor that was, it was kind of unforgivable. But, you know, there was the special teams touchdown they gave up. But I, I just feel like the Jags are still close. They just haven't quite put it together yet. And when you can't put together a complete football game, you lose to a team like the Texans, who even though they're down a million dudes from injury, if they're playing a complete, efficient, mistake-free football game, yeah, you're going to lose in the NFL. So I don't know. The Jags, I'm not hitting the panic button just yet. I know a lot of Jags fans are. Looking at the tape, I see a team that's really, really close. They're not a bad football team. They are not putting it all together right now, but they are not a bad football team. If you want a bad football team, look around the NFL. There's a bunch of them. They are what I would consider hopeless right now. The Jags are far from hopeless, like you said. If they convert you know, the big drop to Ridley, if they don't have kicking woes, if they get their special teams tightened up, like these are all things that are fixable. Trevor looked solid in this one. He was hitting guys. He got victimized by a couple of bad drops. He had the interception, which you mentioned wasn't great, but there's a lot to like about the Jags game. They played the run extremely well on defense. Like they gave Damian Pierce fits. He gave it right back to him. He physically punished a lot of those dudes, but in terms of what he, you know, came out of the day with, it wasn't a lot. It was almost like an opposites day kind of game. 
Texans pushing the pace, looking like the team with the brighter future and the promising young QB. Jags, you know, shooting themselves in the foot, starting with the kicking game and a couple of drops. Stroud continued that third down brilliance, which was key. Tank Dell is entering the realm of the Devonta Smith type exception to the very, very slightly built wide receiver rule. Like, if mm-hmm. you can't get your hands on them, he's going to go out and get 135 yards and a touchdown. And he has been doing that since camp. He continues to do that. I think he is sliding into the sort of 1B of that category, Devonta being the top. Brevin Jordan sighting. Speaking of players from previous regimes, like, I like Brevin Jordan when he got picked. He ends up with a touchdown and crucial catch in this one. Special teams value. Like, that's great. Rushing yards were tough to come by on both sides, but... For the Jags, Travis Etienne is a grown-ass NFL running back. I don't want to hear anything about anything else. He can run it inside. He can run it outside. He gives you explosive potential in the pass game. Like, he came to play. Everybody expected Damian Pierce to be the bull in this one, and he was. But if you looked, every time Travis Etienne got the ball, he was hauling guys for an extra couple of yards inside, outside. The offense goes through him, and that's a weird thing to say with a team with Trevor and Ridley and all the all the weapons um but Travis Etienne is the focus right now and he delivered for them again it was not a bad game but it's a couple of these misfires and the Texans really didn't yes they get a huge lift by a fullback return on special teams can we talk about this everybody talks about thick six we need a name for like fullback kick returns because I'm not sure that it's ever happened and it shouldn't have but it did and again that's what happens when young teams are playing hard they're buying into their coaching and they're starting to see results. They're believing that, hey, on third down, we have a chance. It doesn't matter if it's third and eight. Like, CJ can CJ can turn that thing loose, and we can keep a drive going. And you see much more veteran teams around the NFL that can't do that and therefore sort of lose that momentum. It's like, oh, man, it's third and six. We haven't hit it third and six in forever. Like, Texans don't feel that way. They line up. They're like, we're going to keep this drive going. So really interesting game but i'm with you the jags are not in any way hopeless texans are super fun i'm i'm jealous like the texans are super fun and again this is with a banged up offensive line a receiving core that's still coming into its own you know again tank mm-hmm. dell's young nico's still young you know robert woods is the old man kind of holding it down but like i, I, I <laughs> this is not jamar chase and t higgins out here uh, and they still went nine of fifteen on third down. You know they moved the chains with ease. Stroud is to to go from where Stroud was in the preseason, where he was getting shelled, and then you know uh, first half against the Ravens. The Ravens are a very good defense. We're going to talk about them in a little bit too. He was getting shelled in the first half, but to see the growth over I'm not even kidding a month from mm-hmm. how he looked in August to how he looks now like he looks completely unshakable against pressure like it doesn't affect him at all it, it looks like he's back playing in that game against Georgia when he was at Ohio State where he had all those bulldogs raining down on him and he just just moved and slid and got out of the way and I, I feel like that game was such a good uh indicator of like how he actually operates under pressure and there were some throws that he made in this game from extremely tight pockets that blew me away that that we just don't see young quarterbacks do you know because a lot of them they they panic when they kind of get caged in cj has no panic to him and he's so accurate and he's got such a good arm i i don't want to put too much onto him but it's very drew breeze ish how breeze Mm -hmm. could just let the pocket fold around him and he didn't care 
eyes down the field, throw its touch, timing, anticipation. Like, again, the fact that he's doing all of this and being this efficient and, you know, having, uh, you know, setting the record for most pass attempts in a rookie's first three starts without throwing an interception with not much around him, I, I cannot possibly overstate how impressive C.J. Stroud has been. Um, and as long as he keeps on this trajectory, they got a shot here. They really do. He's been that good. I think when you have solid coaching that a team buys into, and I think we both thought that D'Amico was going to be that guy. In fact, I think we would have been very surprised if D'Amico was not that guy. So that felt a little bit more assumed, and we just said, hey, the rest of the pieces are going to have to fall into place on offense, on defense. They have young playmakers, but it's got to gel. They got to take their rookie lumps. Well, it seems like Stroud kind of skipped that portion. Like, it might come back to bite him in midseason, but it doesn't feel like it right now because he is so calm, cool, and collected. And that was the book on him pre-draft, too, is that he he was one of those right-down-the-middle guys that he never got too high, never got too low, didn't matter, played the same football. Some coaches love that. Some coaches want a lot of fire. It's the consistency has been really impressive, and he's making use of the plays that get drawn up, which is really cool. And, you know, Bobby's been doing a great job scheming stuff up for him. He's been doing a great job of seeing it and hitting it. And yeah, it, you know, it gives them a tremendous chance to take all this talent that we've been excited about the last two drafts we've loved and really make one of those young team runs where they start surprising people early, maybe even midseason. And people that don't watch a lot of Texans football are going to be, you know, they're going to see CJ Stroud in like game eight or game 10, and they're going to go, wow, when did this happen? And we're going to say like game two, like it happened early on. On the Jag side, if they want to get it going, they need to get some pressure out of the defensive line. Again, they played the run really well. They only ended up with uh, nine pressures total. Yeah. Josh Allen led the team with three, which were all quarterback hits, by the way. But Against like, a backup you, offensive lineman. <laughs> you cannot come out of a game like this with all that talent along the defensive line and come out with nine pressures, no sacks. Like, that. That's not going to that's not going to be a thing. They need to be able to pressure the opposing passer better than that. And they are going to face tougher tests. Like you said, they're going to get more starters and more veteran offensive lines. Um, that's one thing that could propel that defense because it is young. It is aggressive. They had some chances. They dropped some interceptions like again, you said it at the top couple of plays away and the Jags could turn it around very quickly. I don't feel that way about a lot of other teams. Yeah, having Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson, I guess, is the great equalizer. Same reason that we're confident about the Bengals eventually turning it around. It's like, well, when you got Joe Burrow, you get the benefit of the doubt. Same thing for T-Law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, elsewhere in the AFC South, uh, the Colts pulling out another improbable upset win. Week three was the week of upsets so far. Uh, improbable upset, Colts beating the Ravens. Ravens made them earn it. I mean, there was, God, how many 
plays, 84 total plays for the Colts in this game. They had 22 third downs. They averaged 3.9 yards per play, which is abysmal. But they just kept <laughs> battling and battling and gutting it out. Again, going 8 for 22 on third down. Like they, The Colts didn't play super well. They just refused to die. And the Ravens, I mean, everything that could have gone wrong for them went wrong for them. And it's another one of these teams where... On paper, they should be one of the best in the NFL, injuries or not. But if you consistently make bad mental errors and you don't play a complete game, even against a quote-unquote bad football team, you're going to lose in the NFL. Like you, It's not like college where you can just out-talent everybody. Like They got talent too. The Ravens took their eye off the ball, literally and figuratively, and paid for it. They need to execute, and both of these teams are in very different spots, and neither of the game plans, when we talk about creativity, featured anything vertical for the first long while. There's a lot of runs to the middle on both sides. There were so many screens, my eyes wanted to start bleeding. And when either one of these teams did anything vertical, and by vertical, a lot of people are thinking, oh, down the field, outside the numbers. I'm No, I'm talking about like eight-yard hitch down the seam with a tight end. He just ran that way instead of running that way or that way. Like, the other team kind of looked surprised, and it worked on both sides. And I was like, okay, <laughs> open it up. Like, unleash it a little bit on both sides. And neither side did. There was, well, you know, inclement weather. It was raining like crazy. It had been raining for about an hour before the game. There were definitely some drops because of the wet, but it's neither one of these offenses seemed to, you know, want to move out of the 1950s or if you want to talk about the screen game, the 1980s. Everybody was just pounded through the middle, very few sort of outside runs, and Lamar was the total offense for the Ravens. And both of his touchdown runs were inspired. I said last week he's a magician. I feel like I'm a broken record there, but if you look at both of those touchdown runs, he shouldn't have scored on either one. Mm-hmm. I would say... 95% of players in the NFL don't score on either one of those runs. He scored on both of them. And it was just like, what? And the broadcast team was like praising Mustafer. They were like, oh, Lamar, great patience for Mustafer, like getting out on the edge. No, Mustafer got pushed back into him and he had to walk around him and then go score. It was like, it was the Lamar show, but he's also going to come with a couple of those errors every game. He had the very costly fumble the bad pick like you're just gonna see a couple things and that's the total package you're gonna get the high highs and the low lows and other than trying to push the ball to Zay Flowers like Isaiah likely didn't get all that involved again the rushing game wasn't super efficient outside of Lamar um you know they tried to go to Andrews not a ton of times but again didn't convert on a bunch of those there's tight coverage it was wet but typically Andrews brings that ball in like again just didn't execute outside of Lamar and so it was this slugfest and it comes down to what is a terrible call I'll just address this for all the Ravens fans out there yes Zay Flowers got mugged on that last on that last play he absolutely did I don't care normally I care I don't care. The Ravens had a lot of chances to take this game out of the referee's hands and just win it. They had a kick at the end. They had many plays they didn't make on the field. There were a lot of chances for the Ravens to put their stamp on this game all through it from the second quarter on and just win this thing outright. Forget overtime. Nope. Instead, again, like you said, Colts keep grinding. They let them hang around. Minshew's really gutty. And yeah, they get robbed on a call at the end. 
I don't care, man. You can't yeah. really say, oh, we got robbed on a call at the end when you had all those chances and you just frittered them away all day. Like, you made your own bed, and yeah, you got beat. When you have um, as many ball security issues as they have, again, you had the Kenyon Drake fumble, right? Scoring opportunity wasted. Um, Lamar himself, uh, you touched on it, but over the first three games, he's had five plays in three weeks where the balls come out of his hands, either in the pocket or scrambling and had it poked out on the run. Like ball security has been a massive issue for Lamar and it cost them possessions, which means it's costing them wins. You know, you had the missed field goal. And again, it's from 61. And even Justin Tucker himself has said that uh, the Raven stadium is the hardest in the league to kick in because when they added the new corner scoreboards about five, six years ago, it changed how the wind operated. So now the wind inside the bank is like super random. So I'm not like dogging him for missing, missing a 61 yarder, but again, you, you had a missed field goal, uh, you throw that in with the turnovers and that's a recipe for putting yourself in position to have the refs quote unquote, steal the game from you. You know, if you just execute on everything else, <laughs> that play wouldn't have mattered. So it's just, it's it's a lack of attention to detail. It's a lack of ball security. I credit the Ravens defense for, for making that game as close as it was. Again, 84 plays run against them. They're absolutely exhausted. And to hold them to less than four yards per play is a Herculean effort. The only reason the Colts didn't win by more was the Ravens defense. They just needed a little bit of help from the offense, and they just couldn't get it. So, Yeah, I got to call out Kyle Hamilton, too, because the the Ravens' defense, we'll focus on them for a minute because they played great all day, but the Ravens' defense has fully figured out Kyle Hamilton and just weaponized him. Mm -hmm. They brought him off the edge relentlessly. He blasted Minshew a couple times. It's on Minshew. Like, Minshew needs to see the hot defender. He needs to know the protection. He is veteran enough, and he didn't even look either time, and he got ear-holed both times. That's on him. That's on Minshew. But, again, Hamilton also destroyed a couple of run plays. I have very rarely seen a safety doubled on the line, and the Colts (laughs) doubled Kyle Hamilton. Later in the game, they put two guys on a safety. Think about that. Only guys I've seen get that treatment are like – Palomalu in his heyday, uh, you know, Minka, I've seen it get a couple of times when he was taking over game and he was really the only defender that was influencing the outcome. It's rare to see a safety get to draw two guys from the offense, and they doubled Hamilton. That's super impressive. One other guy to talk about is Josh Downs. He has made a really nice sort of glue guy, compliment, third wide receiver to this, you know, big two of Pittman and Alec Pierce. Alec Pierce is kind of, I don't want to say retreated, but sort of naturally morphed back into that big play role where they're going to take shots to him. Pittman's the everything guy. He's the guy that had nine targets. But Downs had a lot of nice plays in this one where he kept drives going, got, you know, made third downs short. Uh, had conversions like he's he's delivering as a rookie in that you know third wide receiver role I think he'll eventually grow into a larger role but he's been a really nice ad for the Colts all right I think it's time to address the elephant in the room the Denver Broncos are uh is horrific being too generous 
I mean, you, you have the Sean Payton a few months ago saying <laughs> that uh, the Nathaniel Hackett Broncos were the worst coaching job he's ever seen. Well, Sean, Nathaniel Hackett never lost by 50. So <laughs> if, if yeah. he was one of the worst you've ever seen, what, what's this, Sean? Yeah, the revenge angle is real here, and I didn't, I didn't remember this. This is loose facts floating around in my brain that get connected at random times. And so the the entire stadium was following this game, and whenever they flashed, like, because no no love lost between the Broncos and the Seahawks. They're they're in different divisions now, in different conferences now, but it's not. They weren't always, and so whenever something bad happens to the Broncos, Seahawks fans are all about it. So whenever they put the score up there, there's this huge roar, right? And I was sitting there, and all of a sudden I was like, holy crap, they hung 70 on them. Like, 70 is a thing. Like, that's we're approaching the all-time NFL record for points, you know, allowed. And then I remembered, and I was like, oh, no, McDaniel's a Denver kid. Like, McDaniel grew up in Denver. He was a Broncos ball boy. Mm-hmm. They didn't even interview him because when it's 70 – it's personal. Like, I put out a tweet that said, it's going to leave a mark. Like, look, he put his backups in, but that was as much to protect Tua. That was just a common sense thing, and the backup scored. But, like, he kept the hammer down. The only concession he had was the end of the game when he kneeled down because he could have tied the record or broken it, right? That was the only concession he gave Peyton was, I'm going to keep your name out of the record books for the all-time worst defensive performance you're welcome like he had the gas down and then i remembered oh he's a broncos kid like he grew up a broncos fan he was involved with this organization and they didn't even interview him as a lot of teams didn't he had the chance to bury them and he buried them with you know both hands and both feet to uh to had the most unintentionally brutal quote I've ever seen after the game. Uh, he's, he said, this is a quote, by the way. Uh, he said, we're not going out there to humiliate teams. That's just what it happened to look like. <laughs> it's like, dude, hey, your honor, we, we didn't uh, shoot him on purpose. He just stepped in front of the gun. <laughs> that's right. We were, yeah. And honestly, that's true. And, it, you know, on the defensive side, it's funny because this is a tale of two teams. You might think, you look at the final score and you might think that the Broncos offense was terrible all day. They absolutely weren't. The defense on the other hand was terrible all day from the first running play. They were getting gashed. And I mean, gashed. we're talking like 18, 20, 20. And it doesn't matter if it was Mostert or Devin a chain. We'll talk about a chain in a second. Like the Broncos pretty much gave up on the run from the opening gun. And, that was bad, and it certainly drove a large part of this defeat and the, you know, Dolphins' success. They could do whatever they wanted. Devin A-Chain has a day he'll never forget. A couple hundred yards, four touchdowns. Look, when we heard Devin A-Chain was potentially going to the Dolphins, we were excited. We weren't imagining this. This is this is just a combination of, of two bad things. But the Broncos' offense, like, Russ looked pretty sharp. Cohen Sutton was having a really good day. Nine catches and a touchdown. Now... The two fumbles, absolute killers, heartbreakers. Like, <laughs> I bet Javon Holland is not on his holiday card list anymore. Um, but Russ was pretty sharp with not very long to go. You know, we were just short of the two-minute warning. This is like an 11-point game. 
This is a very and the Broncos are driving like they're having offensive success. And then you get two touchdowns in like 30 seconds of game time from the Dolphins and the route was on. But for the first half watching this game back, I expected them to just be getting buried regularly, like 21 points in the first quarter, 21 points in the second quarter. Like I just expected it to be like that. And it was a it was a real game till the two minute warning in the first half. And so the offense played pretty well. The defense did not play well, especially against the run. And the Dolphins are a very sharp team right now. The Broncos are one of those teams that feels a little bit hopeless. It's not like, oh, fix this one thing and you'll be fine. Despite Russ looking like he was a little bit back in the first half, this is not a Jags type situation where they can, you know, get their execution better in a couple of areas and go compete. Like, they're going to get shelled all season, and the Dolphins just pretty much opened up that season. There's not really any like scheme notes I can give here for the Dolphins because everything worked. Like literally everything they called worked. Um, th- there was iterations on plays that they had run earlier in the season. We've talked repeatedly about McDaniel will put something on tape so he can come back and do something else. Um, that little kind of exit motion where they put Tyreek sort of as like a tight end and then you know, burst him out for like a rail down the boundary in week one, they ran dagger off that. And so you saw the Broncos clearly had seen that and Tyreek lined up that way. So they had a hook dropper sit inside of it being like, here comes the dagger going to get an interception. And then Tyreek's like, Nope, I'm running a deep comeback. (laughs) So it's like, what do you do? What do you do? Like you, you can't just put four guys on two over there, but you feel like you kind of have to, or else Tyreek's just going to be, automatically open all these motions and all this speed and and JT O'Sullivan made a phenomenal point about this you know when he was doing his Tua breakdown last week and I don't know if he's going to do one this week but he'll probably say the same thing of when you get these kind of exit motions that's what he calls it exit motion because you're exiting right Mm -hmm. and they're running full speed at the snap and you have two receivers that as the ball is snapped these two receivers are basically lined up with each other at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Defensive backs don't know how to sort it because all of a sudden yep. one becomes two and two becomes one almost instantly. And so you don't know exactly who you're supposed to be covering. And so the only way that they can sort it out is to back off to give them cushion and time to figure out where are these guys releasing to. What that translates to is Tyreek having an eight-yard window where he can just work to space and do whatever he wants to, and two is going to read it and just hit him, right? Mm-hmm. And I I don't know how to handle that as a defense because you can't run straight-up man coverage against it because that's just going to act as a rub anyway. It's tough to do zone match stuff because, again, they have to try to sort out who's one and who's two on the fly, the only thing I can think of is if on the two receiver side, you're always playing three over two. And on the three receiver side, you're always playing four over three and just outnumbering everybody. But then what do you do in the box? How do you stop the run? So it's like, unless you have uh, like, like the Rams, uh, the Rams 2019 or 2020 defense where they played extremely light boxes the entire year. Cause they had Aaron Donald and they could, you can't do anything about this. Like you, you just don't have the numbers. And, and they're always going to have the space advantage. I don't know. It, it's. I'm sure somebody will figure it out eventually, but I'm too dumb to do it. 
So I guess we'll just have to see. And it's also too new, but you add into that that they have talent. It's not one guy. It's not two guys, right? They have three receivers, four receivers that two will throw to regularly. And he's doing it within two seconds every time. The speed at with the speed with which he is operating this offense is people need to watch it. Like you're gonna be another ten years in this league and going, Man, he really was quick. I haven't seen anybody get the ball out quicker than him. And you get that combination of a guy triggering that quickly, whose understanding is so thorough. You get speed at all the skill positions. You get multiple running backs who can gash you from multiple alignments. And eventually, you it's a pick-your-poison thing, but it's a pick-your-poisons thing. Because mm-hmm. you might take two away, but there's three more. <laughs> and one of them's going to kill you for sure. And you're right. Somebody will figure it out. All offensive trends eventually get blunted. But right now, this is bleeding edge, and they are cutting people with it. Reminder, they did all that without Jalen Waddle. <laughs> so <laughs> they better figure it out fast. Uh, all right, final game of the day, Steelers-Raiders. Um, the only thing I really enjoy watching about either of these teams is is the Steelers' defense and Mac Crosby for the Raiders. Uh, I, don't, I don't particularly like watching anything else about either of these two organizations. Uh, all I know for sure is that Jimmy G ain't it. The picks were <laughs> egregious. You know, his one selling point is supposed to be, oh, he doesn't take sacks because he gets the ball out quick and he makes good decisions and he's not going to turn it over. And it's like, well, it, what about when he does turn it over? Then, then what do you have? Like, are there enough explosive plays as a quarterback that he can make up for bad decisions and bad throws like, say, Josh Allen usually does? If the answer is no, then on the weeks where he does have games like this, which are becoming more and more often as his career goes on, in the weeks where he does have games like this, he doesn't bring anything to to the table to offset these turnovers. And so you just end up with horrific, horrific performances and really bad games and games where you almost have no shot, honestly, when he's your quarterback. So I just, I don't think Jimmy G's it. I think that Sooner rather than later, we will see Aiden O'Connell on the field just to see what they got. Because I Mm -hmm. think we know what they got with Jimmy G, and it's not good enough. Um, Also, Josh McDaniels, side note, he wasn't much better in this game. Um, The field goal decision, Mm -hmm. or decisions, because he did it twice at the end, uh, just makes no sense. And and he he had a quote post-game where he's like, (laughs) <laughs> we needed two possessions. We were down by eight points. And it's like, Josh, do math. One possession is eight points. You need one possession. You're opting to take a field goal after, by the way, the penalty, which then you bled off another 90 seconds from the clock and then kick the field goal again. I understand, okay, you're going to try to score again, but like once you bleed off 90 seconds, it changes the math once more. So you're kicking a field goal and you're like, oh, but we need another possession. It's like you have more confidence in getting 85 yards in 12 seconds than four yards in one play? Really? Like that's your math here? What are we doing? And it was just an unconscionable decision. Inconscionable? Inconscionable? However you Unconscionable. 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 I was not an English major, EJ, clearly. I was was a film kid. I'm not so smart. 
But it was, <laughs> at least I'm I'm not so dumb that I would kick a field goal in that situation, right? I can't pronounce words, but yeah. I know when to go for a touchdown. It that You know, we're talking about smart and football smart here, and it was neither. Um, Jimmy's so skittish back there. He doesn't look comfortable or decisive right now. He's double and triple clutching on everything. And if Devontae Adams had, say, I don't know, rolled his ankle in pregame warm-ups, this would have been a drubbing. Because the only offense was throw it to Devontae. And look, he's still one of the top two or three wide receivers in the NFL. So that looked okay because he had a billion targets and he paid a lot of them off because he's just that good. But Jimmy was just like, uh, where's Devontae? Huh. And that was the offense. Three picks in this one. None of them were great. And they were the difference. Like, let's be honest. If he doesn't throw those picks, Raiders probably win this game at home. Jacobs has yet to get back on track and find the dominating form he had at the end of last year. They're not able to run it. Jimmy G's not really able to throw it. What are you left with? Oh, you're genius coach. I feel like we need to take a really serious look at McDaniel's body work as an offensive coach and pay really close attention to the time not spent with Tom Brady. That resume is exceedingly average. If your offensive mastery hinges upon having the winningest QB of all time, that's not mastery. That's, hey, you had a really good thing. And this is a recurring theme in the NFL, right? We hire a coach that worked with a dominating unit, either offense or defense. And, oh, yeah, they had a really good player, like an all-time player on that on that unit, right? Brandon Staley had a lot of success with the Rams defense. Like He also had Aaron Donald. Josh McDaniels had a lot of success with the Patriots offense. He had Tom Brady for the most part. Like, we need to be really careful about this. And, you know, I I think it even trickles down to, like, Matt Eberflus, right? Like, there were a lot of dudes on that Indianapolis defense. And the defense was good, right? But was it good because they had a lot of dudes and they executed a pretty straightforward scheme well? Like, that's a way to have a really good defense. I'm not saying it's not. But are we going to hire a coach to a situation where they need a thing in Eberflus's case, like a dominating three-tech, and you don't have that thing. Are you going to risk it? Are you going to hire Josh McDaniels to come in if you need a super-calculating, really accurate quarterback, and you don't have one? Like, that's a major liability for an organization. You can't guarantee you're going to get one in either case, and what you end up with is an average quarterback in a system requiring a great one, and you get these results. And that's rough. Like, Again, going back to the Jags, I have hope for the Jags. I don't have a lot of hope for the Raiders. I think it'll be fun to see Aiden out there, but I don't have a lot of hope for them as an organization. They'll probably do better, I think, with Aiden out there than with Jimmy because he's going to push the ball down the field. He's going to throw it to somebody besides Devontae. And yeah, they might steal some wins off some folks, but (laughs) that does not a season make. You know, you look at uh, some other recent head coaches that didn't work out Adam Gase well Peyton Manning swore by him doesn't mean anything when Peyton Manning is your is your quarterback because Peyton Manning is the offense right um you look at Nate Hackett you had Aaron Rodgers Mm -hmm. sorry when you have Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers in that building with you I'd wager that they were the more important components there uh, you look at honestly a whole bevy of Belichick assistants and Andy Reid assistants. Well, Reid less so. A lot of a lot of Reid guys have actually worked out. Um, but it's 
the difference between I would say the Shanahan tree and a lot of other like when people pluck Mike McDaniel or people pluck um, say Slowick working out so far with the Texans right when people pluck from the Shanahan tree Sean McVay's another one a lot of the quarterbacks that that have produced in that system were not top five quarterbacks ever you know, it's it's Matt Schaub leading the league in passing. It's Brock Purdy in games that he's played the entire game, literally never losing as Mr. Irrelevant. Uh, it's Matt Ryan having an MVP-type season in 2016, his best year by far with Kyle. It's, you know, RG3 having uh, an incredible rookie year. Uh, Brian Hoyer, I think, was under Kyle in Cleveland, if I recall correctly. Like, There's a, a litany of quarterbacks that are not... Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and Aaron Rodgers that worked with these coaches. And that's why I think those coaches work when they go elsewhere is because they know actually how to call and structure an offense when their quarterback isn't superhuman. Uh, can't can't say the same for Josh McDaniels when Tom, Tom was the offense, if we're being real. So I think there's, there's a lot of credibility to that point of, you know, if I'm hiring a coach in this next cycle, I'd want Ben Johnson, and that's no shade against Jared Goff, but Jared Goff's not one of the top 10 quarterbacks ever, and that offense, for the most part, has looked really good with Ben Johnson. So I think that translates to uh, to him having success elsewhere, too. So I, I do, not to get too much of a tangent about this subject, but if I am hiring a coach, say if I'm the Raiders and I'm eventually going to replace Josh McDaniels, that's the type of coach I'm looking for. Somebody who can take lemons and make lemonade. Fully agreed. I think it's a worthwhile tangent. It came to me while I was writing this up, and I thought, you know, this isn't an isolated case. This isn't just Josh McDaniel's slander. This is, hey, there's a bunch of coaches around a league right now in both categories, those that have worked out and those that haven't. And those that haven't ran a dominating system focused on a dominating player for the most part. And you need to be very careful about trying to import that to another place and say we're going to replicate that if you don't have said dominating player in-house. On the other side of the equation, by the way, it would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the Steelers' offense. Um, Once again, shaky and inconsistent. Had a couple explosive plays, more than we're used to seeing. Uh, They've had four touchdowns of 20-plus yards in the last two seasons, so from the start of 2022. I think that's like one half of Dolphins football at this point, so um, <laughs> not great, not great. And, and again, yeah. they have weapons. Like We like Pickens, we like Fryerbooth. Calvin Austin had, had the explosive this week, mm-hmm. but they just don't get chunks enough. It's just not, not consistent enough, and it's partly on – uh, you know, Pickett, ball placement has been not overall great for him so far this year. You know, we, we've talked uh, a couple weeks ago about, like, receivers just running the wrong route. We've talked about protection mistakes. We've talked about the run game not being great with Najee in particular. Um, so they're consistently in third and long situations, which is not good for, for Pickett, period. It, it, just nothing's really working like it should. And the defense is so good that they're getting away with it. But this team is not going to be a legitimate threat like we hoped they would be until they can more reliably get chunk plays with the skill position talent that they do have. And they do have skill position talent. But until they can get, you know, 20, 25 yard chunks 
on the regular. When they go up against a team that that can do that, you know, Miami, uh, Kansas City, um, Buffalo, you know, they they just don't have a shot against those type of teams because they they can't they can't punch with fighters that are that weight class right now, and it's uh it's frustrating if I was a Steelers fan. Yeah, they can on the defensive side, which makes it even more frustrating. It's like, hey, half the team holds up with just about anybody. Like the Steelers defense can play with just about anybody. They were leaning really heavily on their, I'll just call them the front five. TJ, Keanu Benton, Highsmith, Montrevious Adams all had big flashes in this one. And and the Steelers are counting on those explosive defensive plays to make the difference. Of course, they got a lot of interceptions, sealed the game with one as well. But if you go back to that offense, man, do they look different in the regular season than they did in the preseason. The preseason, yeah. they, you know, Pickett was hitting everything. They were really efficient. Everybody was really excited. You go back to really starting week one. You were like, oh, this is what we're going to get. This grinding, again, inconsistent, some flashes, but it never really feels like that offense is going to take it to anybody. And it's really weird because the running back thing in particular, you mentioned Najee, it feels like Jalen Warren gives this team way more chances, uh, explosive chances in the run game and, and the pass game. If you look at the numbers, it worked out the same. Like, it just feels that way. He, he plays in a much flashier style, but they both came out with three-point-something yards per carry yesterday. And you're just like, I don't know. I, like, I think it's because don't Warren – Warren takes more tackles for loss, whereas Najee, again, it's it's a tortoise in the hair. <laughs> you know, it's like they yeah. both end up in the same spot. Najee just gets there a shitload slower, but he still gets there. Yeah, the one thing that I I would agree with that assessment. The one thing, if you're looking for hope on the offensive side, like I know everybody. Well, there's two things. Everybody loves to heap on Matt Canada for his play calling and rightfully so it's inconsistent and there's a bunch of junk in there but there's also some fun stuff like the way he got into flood for the TD to Fryermuth that was, that was a fun concept like that was cool mm-hmm. and it worked so it's in there but it's not often enough it's not explosive enough and it's really not consistent enough the one good thing if you're looking for some offensive sparkle if you're a Steelers fan Pickens is starting to add some yak like he was always making catches down the field, but it was usually in contact and he was going to go down. And now he's, they've got him on the move. He's catching stuff on crossers and picking up an extra 15 yards. He's, you know, stiff arming people down the boundary because he had a little bit of space. Like if they get that guy going in space and he becomes a dynamic space player as well as a very dynamic down the boundary, probably 80 20, you know, jump ball grabber. That's a really good thing for this offense. It was really cool to see Calvin Austin pop finally. <laughs> like I, I know he was injured last year, but it took a long time. That's what everybody expected when he got added to this offense. So if you have that and Pickens growing as a as a receiver, like that's something to hang your hat on because I'm with you right now. It doesn't feel like they have an identity. Like there's nothing that I'm like, oh, the Steelers need 20 yards. They're gonna go do this. Their identity is three yard carry on first down. One yard carry on second down. All right, Kenny, it's third and six. Figure it out. Like that's yeah. That's try something. Yeah, and that's rough. That's like you said. They're going to come up against a team where their defense is going to hold up. The other team's offense is going to make a couple plays because they have explosive talent. And then you know all the Steelers are going to look at the offense and go, "Okay, you could do that too, right?" And the offense is going to be like, "Well, about that." <laughs> 
Well, that'll do it for our little uh, Week 3 Sunday recap. Reminder, we have our TNF live stream this Thursday. Uh, Packers-Lions, if I recall correctly, is the TNF game this week. And then Friday, we have our Week 3 Sunday slash Monday preview episode going out. I want to thank Homage also for partnering with us to sponsor this episode as well. So if you're in need for any team gear whatsoever, whether it's those super slick starter jackets or sweatpants or hoodies or t-shirts or whatever again they have the nfl license so there's 30 plus designs for every single team and every uh every single bit of merch that you buy to support your team we also get a chunk of that so it helps uh directly support the show as well and we thank you guys for doing that uh also want to thank our executive producers marat consti andrew liam connor and mike l over in the executive producer tier on patreon also couldn't do this without you guys uh ej any final words before we get out of here a few i saw a bunch of homage shirts at the stadium yesterday which was really cool a bunch of the seahawks throwback stuff um shout out to uh ryan bootleg listener who stopped me on the concourse uh, i was hanging out with the seahawkers pod guys shout out to them as well uh really fun hanging out with them for a couple days but ryan stopped me on the concourse said hey i listen every week I love the way you and Brett do it. You make it really accessible. I've learned so much about football. Whenever anybody comes up to me and says that stuff, um, still just completely humbling. Love it. Had a great interaction with Ryan. So shout out. Thanks for stopping me. And um, we got to say something about Fitzy. So he's one of our executive producers, and he he messaged me during the game yesterday, and he invited me to go to Chicago for Bears-Broncos next week because he bought tickets he bought tickets before the season started at market and he has eight of them no and he was like (laughs) he was like if you want to come to chicago and i actually considered it and this was this was my crazy plan i was like what if i could get perna to go sit with me in chicago (laughs) first of all why would you do that to brandon intentionally well Is there anything that we can do to Brandon at this point that hasn't already been done? Like his team is doing enough to him, but I had forgotten that we've already made plans. We're going to be in Texas next weekend. So I have a fail safe. I do not have to sit through the live threshing that is going to be bears Broncos in Chicago, but shout out to Fitzy for the invitation. And, um, uh, you know, whatever you need to drink, man, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Fitzy will, uh, we'll, we'll set you up with something strong to help you get over that one. Cause that might be, the worst football game of all time. The Broncos lost by 50, and they're still favored by two and a half over the <laughs> Bears. Two and a half. <laughs> Somebody asked if there was a good alcohol to go with Bears football yesterday. They asked me that on Twitter. I said Molotov cocktails. <laughs> like That's all I got. Yeah, Malort is too good right now. Yeah. Like, they need something yeah. worse. They need, like, uh, <laughs> what's, what's the L.A. Freeway? Is that the drink that, that you brought oh, up? Oh, yeah, that's... Yep, pour out the bar mat at the end of the night, and that's that's an L.A. freeway. Yeah. Rugged stuff. No, not going to be good that. football. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. Uh, you shouldn't. Can't recommend anyway, it. Uh, I'm going to go prepare my liver for Sunday because that's going to be a rough one to watch. Or maybe I'll just skip it entirely. That's probably a more prudent decision. Uh, we'll see you guys Thursday for the TNF live stream, and then we'll be back here again Friday for the Sunday preview for week four. Uh, with that, EJ? See you soon. Take care.